This event was recorded live at the 2015 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Edinburgh International Book Festival. My name is Rosemary Burnett, and I'm delighted to be chairing this session about Mecca, the, great, the Sacred City, written by Professor Zia Udin Sarawa. Um, this uh, event is being sponsored by the um, Al Walid Centre of the University of Edinburgh, and we thank them very much for that sponsorship. Uh, the Al Walid Centre is dedicated to promoting a better understanding of Islam and Islamic culture by combining world leading research with an innovative outreach programme. The centre works with schools, the media, policymakers, and the general public on three key themes Islamic civilization, Muslims in Britain, and the relationship between the world of Islam and the West. Turning to our speaker today, uh, Zia Udin Sardar is chair of the Muslim Institute, editor of Critical Muslim, an innovative quarterly on contemporary Muslim ideas and thought. He is also the director of the Center of Post-Normal Policy and Futures Study, East-West Chicago, and the editor of its journal, East-West Affairs. He's published over 45 books um, uh, with the, his there's a book called Reading the Quran, which um, was published in 2011, which began as a Guardian blog and has been described as a mini masterpiece. <laughs> Not by me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we're here today to talk about Mecca. But just to start off with, indulge me by explaining what you mean by, um, by post-normal. Well, you may have noticed that many things we have taken for granted like markets, capitalism, the National Health Service, uh, don't seem to work anymore. In fact, governance doesn't seem to work anymore. Uh, so the idea of post-normal is that what we thought as normal has moved on to post-normal. Mm -hmm. And so we are in between times, times when the normal things don't seem to work and we don't have a new idea or new paradigm where we are going. So we are kind of trapped in this transition period. So the post-normal times is the transition period that we find ourselves in, where all problems are complex, all the decisions are urgent, the stakes are high, values are in confusion and not, and not clear, uh, and we just don't know what to do. Uh, so what I'm trying to do with a few friends is to work out how do we move forward in a, in a more sensible way uh, towards a new kind of new ways of doing things and new ideas and new paradigms. That's what post-normal times is. Thank you. That's, that explains it very well. Um, now, this book about Mecca, could you explain what Mecca means to Muslims and to maybe to describe um, your own experience of the Hajj? Yeah. Um, well, I think Mecca means everything to Muslims. Uh, I mean, most Muslims, devout Muslims, who pray five times a day, they, 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 they face in the direction of the Mecca. The Prophet of Islam was born in Mecca. The early formative phase of Islam is associated with, 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 with Mecca and it's also regarded as the, as the house of God, symbolic. So Mecca is very, very important. And in fact, when I was growing up, uh, uh, I spent my first like seven, seven, eight years in Pakistan before I moved to Hackney. So basically I grew up in Hackney, but when I was in Pakistan, uh, my, my kind of real memories of Pakistan actually consist of a calendar. Which, was, which we had in the house, right? 
and uh, they will replace the calendar, but it will be exactly the same calendar every year. And all it was is just a photograph of the Kaaba, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a black and white photograph of the Kaaba with some kind of dates and things at the, at the bottom. Uh, and that's kind of becomes the focus. So you, you, grow, you grow up with the Kaaba in the mind, with, with the Makkah in mind. And when you kind of, when my mother, for example, was, was, was teaching me Islam, you know, it's always the stories of the Prophet, what happened in Makkah, uh, you know, and, and then when she's teaching you how to pray, you must face the direction of Makkah. So the Makkah kind of dominates your childhood. And, and you grow up thinking of uh, uh, as a kind of idealized place, a, a place that you want to go. And then, of course, Muslims have to perform a pilgrimage once in a lifetime. It's one of the five pillars of Islam. Uh, so that's the destination. So, so Makkah was kind of, I felt very, very strongly uh, 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 about the city. The interesting thing is, when we moved from, from Karachi to, to Hackney, Clapton Pond, where I lived, my mother brought the calendar with her, and she stuck it on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> so even growing up in Hackney, I saw that calendar. And then we you know when these halal things started coming about, halal shops and all that, and you go to the halal butcher, and he will have this, the, what was known as the Islamic calendar. Right? And of course, it was photograph of Makkah with the dates on it, <laughs> the same calendar. So it stuck. It stuck. Mm. Uh, so Makkah is, is, is very close to most people. Uh, and, and I would say it's a very idealized. The, 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 the over perception, the Muslim perception of Makkah is very idealized in that sense. But of course, it's also very important for non-Muslims, in a sense. It is the mysterious city where Muslims cannot go, uh, sorry, where non-Muslims cannot go. It has always had this fascination. In fact, the word Makkah has gained such common currency, you know, that you even have a bingo hall named after Makkah or, or, or pop stars called Makkah, and, you know. I mean, so, so Makkah is everywhere in that sense, and, and, and of course, um, because it was such a kind of mysterious, mysterious place for, 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 for non-Muslims. A lot of people actually, non-Muslims, try to go to Makkah during history, as, as the book describes. Mm. But uh, you say, in, I, mean, I really meant in a kind of moral way, because you say in the book, uh, you believe that I must always look to Makkah if I was to amount to anything worthwhile in the world. Yeah, because Makkah presents you with kind of basic values and morality, the kind of the ethics of Islam, in that sense. And if you want to live up, if you want to be a good believing Muslim and live up to this, this ethics, then Makkah idealizes that ethics. Or at least that's what I thought, and that's what most Muslims think. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the reality, is, as you, when you read the book, you discover is, 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 is totally different. Uh, in fact, I would suspect that that's what Muslims have thought throughout history. Mm. That Makkah represents that ideal, in that sense. And, and you tried to perform the Hajj as it would have been done in the Prophet's day? Uh, no, not, 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 not quite like the Prophet's day. You see, in, 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 in history, uh, before the invention of um, buses and cars and, 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 and aeroplanes, people went to Makkah uh, basically through caravan routes. There were three uh, great caravan routes. Uh, one, one started in Cairo and went down, to, uh, uh, down to, to Makkah, one started in Baghdad, Damascus, and Makkah, one started in Sana and went up to, uh, went, went up to Makkah. Uh, and these caravans were like great cities on the move. I mean, they'd be like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people uh, with all the facilities, you know, uh, food, medical facilities, entertainment, jugglers, you know, uh, uh, other form of entertainment, everything. I mean, there were cities in, in, uh, on, on the move. Um, and I, when I first went to the, to the city in 1974, in fact, um, um, 
it was my first job to work on the city itself. Uh, and I found myself uh, at the virtually age of 26 being offered a job. In fact, somebody asked me the other day, and he, he, somebody was Saudi, he said, is it really happened that you were living in a tower block in Hackney and two people knocked on your door and, said, and came in and said, would you like to come with us and work, work in Mecca? I said, yes. Uh, and he said, I know both of these guys. They told me exactly the same story. I just wanted to check with you whether it is true or not. <laughs> so this is exactly what happened. I had just finished a, a, a master's in information science and published a few things here and there, you know. And, 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 and a great Saudi architect, Sami Ngavi, wanted to start this Hajj Research Center. And he uh, saw these things. And through some friends, he kind of discovered. And he just came to my house and just said, that is what you're going to do for next, you know, basically, we will, he said, for, for the next of your life. So it was, I was actually signing up for the rest of my life. So I went to Mecca uh, um, in 1974, started researching the Hajj uh, and working on the city and performed the first pilgrimage. Uh, and the first pilgrimage I performed was, I think, probably the most sublime kind of experience of my life. When you first enter what we call the Haram, which is the sacred mosque with the Kaaba in the middle, right? And you kind of enter, you. You, you really do feel like you're in a, in, a, in a presence of the divine power. I mean, it's all symbolic, you know. You're intelligent enough to know them. The Kaaba is just a symbol. But when we walk in, there is something intensely spiritual about the place, so deep spiritual that you cannot just kind of help shaking, right? And kind of you, and, and I remember the first time, you know, that the, that the words of the prayers, the, words, the verses from the Quran could hardly come out of my mouth and I was forgetting things and I was just looking at this Kaaba. And, um, and so then I performed the pilgrimage and I performed the second pilgrimage, but it wasn't as that sublime as the first one. And then I did the third one, right? And by the time the, the city itself was changing. So, so, so in 1978, 79, I said, well, I'm going to do the, uh, the, uh, the, the pilgrimage the whole old-fashioned old way. Uh, that is to trace the old caravan route coming from Sana. So we are going to go uh, catch the caravan route from to, when it came to Jeddah and walk all the way to Makkah, which is only about 80 miles. It's not, a, it's not, you know, it's, it's not a, a great. But since we were tracing the old caravan route, it was past. It was not through the motorway that we had built. It was past the mountains and and arid regions and all that. So it's going to be a tough ride. But you know, we 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 figured it'd be a three days ride, and so this was both. A desire to perform the Hajj like that, and also a research exercise. How how did how did they manage to do it in the in the in, in the olden days? So the first thing we needed was camels, because the, all caravans had camels, and it became very uh, evident that in Saudi Arabia there are no camels. Uh, there may be a desert, but all the camels are racing camels. There are no camels there. So we took, we we decided to have the next best substitute, donkeys. And hey, lo and behold, there were no donkeys in Saudi Arabia either, right? <laughs> Uh, and we spread the word throughout the university and wherever we went that we are looking for a donkey. And eventually the word came, from, came along that there was a man who has a donkey to sell. So we went to, 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 to get our donkey. Uh, and, and he just asked the astronomical sum for it. And I said you know, to him, look, it's, it's a miserable looking donkey. I mean, what's wrong with you? He says, well, I've heard that two idiots have been looking for a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are so desperate for a donkey, you, you, you pay whatever price I've got. And this is the only donkey I, we have. Yeah, I have. So anyway, we got that donkey, and we didn't know how to handle it. So we got a donkey guide as well. So three of us, myself, my friend, Zafar Malik, who was also working at the Hajjah Center, and Ali, our guide, went off with this donkey. And it became very clear that he was rather unruly. 
So we call him Chinggis, like after Chinggis Khan, because he had a very bad temper. He kept on kind of kicking people and all that. So we started this journey with all of our things. And, uh, and we, we, we didn't get kind of, we, we had a first day which was reasonably okay. It was very rough. Um, you know, we fought over 40 degrees in heat and it was kind of pretty, pretty bad. Uh, and we had a restful night. And we got up the following morning, right? Uh, and we kind of started, started our journey again. Uh, and, and my friend Zafar said, oh look, there's a second donkey in, in Saudi Arabia. It's over there, right? And, and so our donkey saw the second donkey uh, and, and it became quite problematic for us to kill him. And then Zafar pointed out, nothing to worry about. The second donkey is also a male donkey, so there's no problem, right? Uh, then suddenly, Chinggis threw all the luggage off uh, and ran off, right? Uh, to the second donkey, and, and, and Zafar turned up and said, you bought a donkey. He was not just miserable, but also sex and sex staff and a homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> so while, while, all, while all this was going on, uh, a group of Bedouins appeared from nowhere. Uh, and they said, what are you doing here? They said, we are walking to Hajj. And they said, what? Are you mad? Don't you know that the modern world has invented buses and cars? <laughs> I said, we are trying to do this as a research exercise, the way the caravans were done. This is nothing in Saudi Arabia is, you know, uh, uh, old. Everything we have modern, we have provided, the government has provided you buses, you know, what are you doing? And then suddenly an old man came along and he was really fuming. He says, your donkey has done an unspeakable thing to my donkey, <laughs> which carries very serious penalty in the Sharia. Right. Uh, and then suddenly a, a helicopter appeared <laughs> from nowhere with police with guns and all that. And, and then the, the guys, it's, it's, the soldiers jumped up and they said, what are you doing here? And we said, we are going to pilgrimage. And they said, have you got permission? And then that, that was the first time I really felt relaxed. And I got out my letter from King Fahad himself giving two idiots to go on a walking pilgrimage. And he saw the letter from the king and he said, oh, thank you very much. Okay, you, you have permission. Uh, so as soon as the helicopter dif disappeared, the, the, the Bedouins disappeared as well. But of course, the, we had a serious problem with, with, with Chinggis catching him and all that. Uh, so it wasn't, I mean, as a pilgrim, I mean, in the end, we, we ended up, you know, parking him at the Makkah Intercontinental, which, which, which caused certain problems and all that. And then eventually, when we got to the, to, to the Haram, you know, and we, we did our Tawaf, which is going seven rounds around the Kaaba and all that. And, and so we, it was night, uh, and, and we couldn't find the Hajj center camp. Um, now we had been working, by that time we had been working on the city for four years, and we had seen uh, mountains disappear. Um, the whole city transformed. Uh, uh, the, you know, the, the Quran describes Makkah as a barren valley, and we actually saw the valley actually disappear. So it's not a, by that time it was hardly a valley. Now, of course, it's not a valley at all. Um, so we, could, we couldn't find our uh, camp, and we both assumed that our mountain has been erased. Yeah. But in fact, we did find the camp because we, 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 we were going, we had found the mountain, but it was dark and all that. We were climbing the wrong way. Instead of going the right path, we were climbing up there. Right? And when we eventually got there, there was Chinggis, you know, there because he'd been brought in a truck. Uh, and then, you know, we had a... a uh, we had more or less finished the pilgrimage. We kind of, uh, you had to kind of have a sh shower and change and all that. And I remember sitting with my f friend Zafar 
and feeling very proud, which is the one thing you must not feel if you're a pilgrim, you know, you, 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 you're not supposed to hurt anybody. It's the whole exercise in Hamdala, and I saying to him, look, despite all the problems, we have managed to retrace the last part of the caravan route. Our notes are very solid, uh, and it's a very proud achievement. Um, and then, uh, then Zafar left and brought in a man, and, and he's a long, slim guy carrying a stick. And he says, have you met brother uh, so-and-so? I said, no, I haven't met brother so How are you, brother so-and-so? Um, and he says, Brother Soso has also walked on his pilgrimage. Oh, I said, Brother Soso, oh, so you walked, you know, yeah, we just walked from Jeddah. It took us three, four days, it's very hard. You know, how long have you been walking? He said, seven years. <laughs> Where have you walked from? Southern Sudan. Right? So, you know, you have, you have people who, are, who, who, who still do that, for whom yeah. still Hajj is that kind, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of has this sublime attraction in, in a sense. And of course, it's destroyed our ego totally. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah the game. The Pride game. riding for a fall. Right, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. So in the book, you trace um, Mecca right from the time of the prophet, right from his birth mm. uh, onwards. And it seems to me to be an extraordinarily bloody history with a lot of internecine warfare. This is, this is, this is the first uh, kind of myth that needs to be broken, I suppose, in a sense. Um, uh, my book is the first book on um, kind of history of Makkah in English. Surprising that the holiest city of Islam does not have a, 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 a history in English. There are some histories in, 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 in Arabic, uh, but if you read them, uh, uh, Makkah comes out wonderful and nice, and everybody in Makkah is nice, and history is lovely, and all that. But of course, this book sets out to show that Makkah was anything but a nice place, mm. yeah. in a sense. Uh, it's supposed to be a sanctuary, you know, a, a, a place of peace, right? Uh, a, a place of spirituality. Yet it has an exceptionally violent history, and Meccans themselves are not particularly nice people. I mean, throughout history, they turn out to be rather unsavory. I mean, for example, they regarded the, you know, they they, they said that, uh, uh, you know, we don't grow weed or sorghum or anything. Our crops are pilgrims. And they treated pilgrims like crops, you know, cutting them down, right, in a sense. And so going to pilgrims, them, yeah. right, fleecing, fleecing them, uh, imposing ridiculous taxes on them. Uh, so if you look at the history of Makkah right from the, from, from the time, the Prophet himself, uh, when he finally conquered the city, the Meccans thought he will stay in the city. But in fact, after the conquest of Makkah, he only stayed in the city for about two weeks and left. Uh, uh, Makkans thought he had, he had houses there, you know, he will, he, will, he will reclaim the houses. The people who had left uh, on migration, they will claim their houses and he will reestablish. But he left, he went back to Medina, in a, in a sense. So the Prophet himself didn't have all that kind of, that strong a love for, for, for Makkah. He loved, he loved uh, uh, Medina more in that mm -hmm. sense, because Medina was more welcoming to him. Makkah was the city that, that, that tortured his followers, that tried to, that tried to murder him. Uh, you know, made his life very, very, very difficult in, a, in that sense. Um, so right from the beginning, Makkah has a quite a violent history, which continues throughout the history, during the Umayyad period, during the Basid period, and, 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 and during the Ottoman period. So the first myth is that uh, if you look at the real history of Makkah, um, uh, it's, it's, it's a history of blood and guts and, 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 and violence. Yeah, because the... Um the Sharif, they... The yeah, the Sharifs uh, were very interesting kind of... Yeah. Sharifs became rulers of, rulers of Makkah after the Abbasid period. 
Uh, and to be a Sharif, by definition, means gentleman. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you are, you, are, you, are, you, are, you are a civilized, gentle person. And some Sharifs, to, to, to give them due course, were very good, in, in a sense. Like, for example, you have this uh, uh, Abu Nome the first. Mm -hmm. Abu Nome the first was an absolutely brilliant person. He's regarded as one of the most successful Sharifs, and the city prospered during his time. Uh, and he had, uh, I think, five kind of virtues. He was honorable, he was patient, he had integrity, you know, he, he had courage, and he wrote great poetry, and everybody loved him. But he had 30 weaknesses, and they were his sons. sons yes. They were his sons, right? So when he died, uh, the question of succession became very big. Now, the history of what happened after Abu Nabi I is slightly complicated, but I'll simplify it for you. Yeah. The eldest son decided the best way for him to succeed is basically to kill the one, the, the one son after him. So he killed the son after him, uh, the younger, his younger brother. And then he invited all his 28 other brothers for dinner. Right? And when they came to dinner, Behind each uh, brother stood a man with a sword drawn out, and then the main dish was served, which was the body of his of, the, of their brother, you know, nicely cooked in a sense. Uh, so that's the kind of events that 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 that, that, you know, that went on. But despite that, despite the fact that that Makkah was never a kind of great intellectual center, I and mean, the real intellectual centers of Islam were Baghdad, Damascus, Cairo, Samarkand, Bukhara, Grenada, Cordoba. Makkah still had a reasonably vibrant culture, right? And sometimes, you know, the city became quite vibrant. Uh, it always had visitors. It always had great thinkers, uh, great theologians, you know, great mystics coming for pilgrimage and standing and actually staying for a, for a few days. So Ibn Arabi, great, great mystic, came in the, came in the 12th century. Uh, the, uh, you know, probably regarded as the greatest mystic of all time, certainly the greatest mystics in Islam. Came and came, came and came and in, 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 stayed in the city. Now again, you see, a lot of people have great mythology about Ibn, Ibn Arabi. He had these great dreams, and he wrote these fantastic mystical books. It's called one of them is called you know, Makkah Revelations, which is about which is about that. But when I was researching it, some very kind of interesting things, interesting things, thing, things happened. I I, I I I I I discovered, for example, that when Ibn Arabi came to the city, he fell in love with him with the with the with the Makkah woman. Uh, who didn't pay much attention to him. So he wrote this lovely uh, 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 kind of poems about uh, love poems, uh, which most people kind of interpret as great love of God. And when you should look at it, no, 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 he's, this is about sex. <laughs> Not nothing with God, is plain, right, in, at this stage in, 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 in Amrabi. And what happened in the city is that the young poets, the city always had poets, right? And so the young poets took his uh, poems and set them to music, right, and, and, and played them. And one of the things that the, 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 the young men in Makkah used to do, this is around 12th century, uh, when the pilgrim season was starting, they will go out of the city uh, and wait for the caravans to arrive. So there will be about a whole group of 20, 30. And then they will say, oh, that woman is very nice, and that woman is very nice, right? So they will mark the women, and they will follow them, and then try to chat them up, and use Ibn Arabi's poetry to entice them. In a sense. Mm -hmm. So there was a kind of a game that, that, that they played. But later on, of course, Ibn Arabi spent some time in the haram, and then wrote, wrote, you know, wrote his mm -hmm. great poems. Yeah. Um, certainly, um, women 
actually played a very pivotal role in the establishment of Mecca. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. In a, in a, in a Zubayda uh, yeah, provided the, the water, for example. Absolutely, the, the, the Abbasid uh, uh, Sultan, um, Khalif's wife, Harun Rashid's wife, um, Zubayda built, uh, the city never had any, I mean, it was a desert city. I mean, you know, as, as I said, the Quran says a barren valley. So she kind of set up the water, water system, established the first water systems. And later on, there were Ottoman sultanas who put a lot of money in. And, and so in, in a sense, at crucial periods in history, the city was always saved by women. Yes. Right? And the women knew what to do. Right. What were the main things about the city? It needed water, so they, 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 they provided water. It needed schools and hospitals, so provided schools and hospitals, uh, in a sense. And in fact, towards the end, I say that a city that, that owes so much to some great women, in fact, suppresses women in a, in a very ruthless way. Yes. Right? In, in a, so quite, quite ironic that, some, that's, that at various phases in history, the city would not have survived as a city. Yeah. Right? Had, had certain women not intervened. Yes. We see women and Meccans generally through, in your book, through the eyes of many travelers yes, yes, who came yeah, yeah. to Mecca. That's right, yeah. Some of whom pretended to be Muslims and some That's of whom someone, really were Muslims. That's right, yes. So tell us a little bit about these. Uh, yeah, I mean, when, when I was kind of writing it, I mean, this is very much a city book. It's not a, it's not a book about Hajj. Mm -hmm. I mean, British Museum has already done an exhibition about Hajj, so we can go and look at that. Um, this is a book, it's a city book, it's a book about Makkah, in a sense. Uh, so when, you re when I was researching, there was a vast amount of material on Hajj, but very little about the city. So I had to construct the city, in a, in a sense, from the accounts of, of travelers who went there. So, so for example, in the, uh, uh, in the 12th century, Ibn Jubair, the great, great Arab traveler, 13th century, Ibn Muajir, the great Persian tra traveler, and of course Ibn Battuta in the 15th century. Now all these people came, they came to do Hajj, and their books uh, describe the Hajj, but they also occasionally describe the city itself. Mm -hmm. So, so it, it is that kind of descriptions that I've, that I've used to recreate the images of, of what the city was really, mm -hmm. really like. Uh, from that. If it wasn't the account of these people, we will know very little about the city as such. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the Western uh, uh, travelers started coming, and here we have to uh, actually give a great due to, 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 to Burkhardt, the, the, the Swiss traveler. Now, most of these Western guys were spies, let's be honest. They, 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 they came, but they were also scholars, uh, uh, and some of them were brilliant scholars. And Burkhardt's uh, went, and of course he wasn't in that interested in Hajj, he was more interested in, 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 in Makkah. Yeah. So his description of Makkah, neighborhood by neighborhood, you know, house by house, in great depth, really provide us with, 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 with you know, great a great, great deal of material. Uh, so, so lots of Western uh, uh, travelers also kind of provide us uh, insight. Uh, in some cases, uh, they take us. They they, 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 take us to a part of the city where the Muslim travelers probably would not go, or if they went, they would not want to write about it. So, Eldon, um, the um, uh, 19th century travel, traveler, Eldon, um, um, I forgot his second name, but anyway, um, he was quite a kind of adventurous guy. So he wanted to know if there are some naughty things in the city, right? Right, so he wondered about, and he discovered there's a wide, wide amount of pornography available, and it gives a description of how he 
came across uh, pornography, or you only had to go and ask the bookshops, and they will take you behind the curtain mm. where you can find all sorts of stuff in, the, in that sense. The city had this uh, seedy sides, you know, mm. side as well. Uh, and one of the things that, again, most Muslim travelers forget, but the Western travelers really bring it out, is that how much the city depended on slavery. And yeah. slavery wasn't abolished until 1962. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, the Ottomans ruled Makkah for a very long period, 600, 600, almost 600 years. And, and the Ottomans abolished uh, 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 slavery in 18, around 1852 or something like that. Uh, maybe I got the dates wrong there. Uh, but at that period, right? Um, um, and when the decree was issued by, uh, by the Ottoman Sultan, there were riots in Makkah. Uh, and the Meccans uh, scholars then asked our pilgrims and all that to unite and fight this violation of God's law. They thought it was part of God's law that they should have slavery, in, you know, that, that slaves should be there. And in fact, in, so the Ottoman uh, 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 Empire uh, carried on uh, abolishing slavery, yet uh, the Makkah continued the slavery. And in Makkah, the slavery wasn't abolished till 1962, almost 150 years later. Uh, it's been always been a very conservative city, very narrow-minded city. And the intellectuals and, and thinkers who came out and lived there uh, have se seldom left anything behind, or maybe the Makkans didn't appreciate it. So it never, they never absorbed the thinking, the learning. I mean, the, 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 the various uh, descriptions of various astronomers. Uh, I, I, I talk about this, uh, this uh, Spanish astronomer, yeah. you know, who put a, who, who put a sundial in, in the haram, and, and, and the Makkans thought that that was an abomination and had it demol uh, 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 removed. Uh, in, the, in, in the 19th century, uh, one particular uh, pilgrim from, uh, from uh, uh, subcontinent, when pilgrims go to Makkah, they would often take things to sell there so they can make a living. And then they will also buy things and, and, and take back. So this man brought uh, a gramophone record, which had just come on the market, right? Uh, and in the in the in the um, market square, he kind of started playing, playing, playing some. I mean, Islamic kind of songs. Nothing, nothing bad in his in his gramophone. And crowd gathered, and he would say, you know, give give, give me some. So they, 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 you know, it's almost like a he was basking using this thing. Uh, and the police, Makkan police, came and arrested him and took him to the judge. Uh, and uh, there was an investigation, and judge dis declared that was a violation of God's law, and had him flogged. Mm. Right, and that's. That's kind of, you know, uh, late 19th century, so early 20th century, mm. in a sense. So it's, 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 the city has always been very, very narrow-minded mm. and, 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 and backward-looking. Uh, but, it, but it's interesting that it, within the um, Haram area itself, there were four different schools of mm. Islamic thought. Until and they will have their each area where they yes. pray. Uh, the Shias were always a problem. <laughs> there are for, for, for Makkans, well, not, no, not for me. Uh, not for me. Uh, they were no, always, although always, always the original uh, rulers of Mecca were Shias. Were Shias, indeed, yeah. indeed, indeed. And, and, and Nadir Shah in, in the 18th century, the, the great king of Persia, actually uh, uh, wrote to the Ottoman Sultan and he said that if uh, uh, the Shias are accepted as the fifth school of thought uh, and given, and that was an important condition, and given due respect and place in Mecca, then the Shias will, will happily change their theology and accept the Sultan as Khalif. Mm. Now, what a great sacrifice. And what did the Sultan say? No, 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 no. I think this, if I accept the Shias as, as a fifth school, there may be riots in my street. 
and right? how, yeah. how different Istanbul. history would be. And how this, yeah, so he, 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 mm. he rejected that, and how, did, how different the history would be if, if yeah. he had accepted the offer, in a sense. The Shia so, were always a problem and kind of didn't, sometimes they were inside the, the haram, sometimes they were not. But in general, there were uh, four different areas where, where people prayed. Um, four different azan calls to prayers will be made, and each, each one will pray you know, behind their school of thought. Of, the imam of the, their school of thought and so forth. So there was kind of this diversity there, 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 there in, uh, in the city. And there were lots of uh, uh, Sufis and different interpretations you will find around, around, around the city. So when, for example, uh, Ibn Jubair and Ibn, Ibn Jubair in the 12th century and Ibn Battuta in the 15th century went, visited Mecca, part of their visit was to go to the house of Khatija. Yes. The prophet's wife. Mm. Uh, they will go to the, ha to, the, to, the, to the house where prophet was born. Uh, they will go to the house of Abu Bakr, his closest companion. Mm. Right? Then they may go to the shrines of famous uh, uh, Sufi saints who had come, come to visit the city and died. Then they will go and visit the, kind of, uh, the castles and other cultural properties. A very famous uh, uh, cast Ottoman castle which, which, which was there, which in fact I managed to visit just before it was demolished. Uh, um, and you know, so you you see you see that the city has a living history in in in, in a sense. And when we were talking about earlier on, when my friends from from Saudi Arabia came to my tower block in in, in Hackney and asked me to, to to come in and join them, that the reason they did that was they were very disturbed because uh, two months before uh, the bulldozers had moved in in in, in the uh, in the middle of the night and demolished most of the culture property in the city in almost one night. Kind of they wiped out about thousands of history. And when I, when I started to work uh, at the Hajj Center in 1974, and in 1979 when I actually left, the reason I left because I thought the battle had been lost, the, all the culture property in, in, in Mecca was systematically being destroyed. Right? And there were three or four uh, uh, master plans, and each master plan extended the mosque uh, uh, and redid the, the various ritual points. And each step forward meant to, you know, erasing the, uh, the mountains, erasing the culture property. So by 79, there's hardly any history left. Mm. But even then, the Haram uh, was kind of, uh, every time uh, pilgrims increased, whoever was the ruler would actually build an extension. So there's a Umayyad extension, there's a Basit extension, there's the Ottoman extension. So by the time I had left, the Ottoman extension has go had gone, right? Um, uh, so in the 80s, the Umayyad extension has gone as well. Sorry, uh, Abbasid extension went as well. Uh, um, most of the kind of Ottoman houses were, were, were demolished. In fact, there's a picture in the book yeah, taken so by me of one of the auto, uh, uh, auto, a man walking in front of the Ottoman houses with, with mashrabiya and all that. So those Ottoman houses still existed in 74, 75. And of course, all of them went. Uh, uh, so now Mecca is, is as described by Meccans themselves, Saudi Las Vegas. Uh, and the, the, the real uh, irony is that Mecca is actually modeled on Houston, Texas. Yeah. I don't, only the people in the front row will be able to see this picture. But, uh, That's how it, yeah, but there is, there, there is a picture of, I think, uh, just, uh, there you go. Here, you see the old, the old, the old houses. Yeah, with their mashrabiyas, yeah, all all that's kind of gone, uh, yeah. um, uh, disappeared. So there has been a kind of, I mean, we talk of terrorism, but this is this is this is uh, 
this is the kind of, I don't know, genocide, I, what's the right word? I mean, this is absolute erasure of history, of 1400 years of history, wiped clean, literally, and, 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 a, and a replica of Houston put in its place. The reason for that is very, 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 very simple. That in the 70s, in the late 60s and 70s, many um, prominent Saudi members of the royal family uh, found themselves being studying in University of Texas in Austin for their PhDs and you know for whatever post uh, higher higher education. And when they went to Houston, they said, "Well, Houston is a bit like Mecca. Well, it's, it's a desert town. It's an oil town, right?" Uh, and 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 you know they, they, this is being built in a modern way. So this, uh, the Makkah master plan were copied from the uh, Houston master plan. Houston, yeah. Uh, master plan. Yeah. And and people from Stanford and University of Houston, Houston was were uh, um, hired as consultants. You mm -hmm. know, in the in the early in, in the early phases, and these people became, I mean, ministers in, in the Saudi government. So at one point there were seven ministers in Saudi government who had studied at. University of uh, uh, in, Houston, in Austin, Texas, Houston, Texas, yeah, yeah University of Austin in, in, in Houston. Um, so they simply kind of bought that image and, and, and transformed the, the Makkah into that image. So if you go down now, um, the, the Ottomans would not allow any, anything to be built around the Kaaba, which is more than two floors high. And now you've got this hotel which is, I don't know, one of the tallest hotels in the world, and it makes the Kaaba look insignificant. Almost every photograph you take, uh, the drawing you take, uh, from earliest, earliest time to 1980, has the Kaaba in the middle in a prominent position, right? And now the photographs of Makkah, uh, there's no Kaaba there. I mean, the, the, the power belongs to the, to the, to the, to the, to the uh, hotels, to the palaces, and the Kaabas, I mean, you really need a magnifying glass to look at the, look, look, you know, look, Look at the Kaaba. So your, your mother's calendar. Yeah. So the mother's calendar has become also yeah. been erased from history in yes. that sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, you talked a little bit in your book about consumerism. I mean, we've seen that the Meccans were always keen to make a profit from the pilgrims, yeah. but uh, th things have changed. I think you say in your book that people came to the Hajj and spent money, but now the idea is that they they have to spend money. Yeah, yeah. I, it, in a sense, I mean, when I was doing the Hajj, um, it was, I mean, the word Hajj means effort, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and Hajj, to do a Hajj properly is a grueling exercise, in a sense. Uh, that's why when, I, when people ask me, I always ask young people to go on Hajj. Because it's a hard exercise. It's not, you know, it requires, it, requires, it requires a great deal of effort. You have to move from ritual point to ritual point at a particular time. <coughs> Two million people moving together, it's not, it's not easy and, and it's, it's pretty harsh. Uh, but out of that effort comes the spiritual fulfillment in that sense. Mm -hmm. uh, but now there is, Hajj is like a tourist package. You know, you're going on a tourist. You can't go on a pilgrimage on your own. You have to go, uh, the Saudis have made it kind of uh, impossible. So you have to go as a, as a, as a group. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the group is then just moved like a tourist from place to place. And the idea is to get the maximum number through, uh, you know, a minimum time and extract maximum, maximum amount of money from them, in, in a sense. Uh, uh, so the, the whole idea of kind of going to pilgrimage, meeting people from different parts of the world, well, doesn't hold true anymore because you're forced to stay with your own group. Mm -hmm. So if a Scottish Muslim, group of Scottish Muslims go uh, to pilgrimage, they will actually just stay with Scottish pilgrimage all the time, and they come back. So they might have stayed in Edinburgh, have a, and, and come to the festival. Mm. I, 
probably there's more diversity here than, than, than there. Right? Uh, so the whole idea of, 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 of the pilgrimage where you go for learning, uh, you know, you discover the diversity of Islam, you, you, come, in, you come in, you, are, you engage with, with, with Muslims from a different part of the world who have a different interpretation of Islam, all that is gone. In a sense, it's a very monolithic affair. In, in that sense, very Wahhabi affair. So, no matter who you are, you got, you put through this system, and the whole city now is geared to consumerism. In absolute, I mean, the consumer is is the new god in the, in, in that sense, and and you are not walking in the. In the, in, on the footsteps of the prophet anymore in that sense. You're not even walking in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a city as described by the Quran, right? It's a kind of a, the, the only thing that is now left in the city of, uh, is the, the, the very few uh, pillars of the Ottoman, uh, of the Umayyad rule. So we're talking about seven, eight century period, right? Uh, pillars, uh, very few pillars. Everything else has, everything mm -hmm. has gone. And, for example, the, the, where the house of Khatija was now a toilet, um, the, 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 where the, the, the supposed to be the birthplace of the prophet is now just a kind of a car park kind of building, right, locked up. Uh, and the only mountain that has not been raised is the Mount of Mercy, where the, the, the prophet used to meditate and where the revelation mm -hmm. that we call the Quran first started. And only last a couple of weeks ago, I was I was reading that some Saudi clerics have say, have said, "Why is Jabal Rahman still there? Uh, that should be it is as well." So it's, it's a matter of time that the last vestige of of historic Mecca, uh, the Mount of Mercy, right? The you know mentioned in the Quran, you know, maybe may may be raised as well because Saudis think that people who will go to Mount of Mercy somehow are so stupid they will start worshiping Mount of Mercy. I think only Saudis can be that stupid. Uh, a vast majority of Muslims are intelligent enough to know that it is a mountain and it has a, you know, <laughs> but it, it has historic function, uh, historic significance, and they go there for historic significance. Do you think you'd yeah. be welcome to visit Saudi Arabia? Well, I got a, I got a, a call a couple of weeks ago from uh, one of my Saudi friends who said, oh, I, I managed to grab a copy of your book from Abu Dhabi Airport. It's, it's a very good read, he said. Uh, but try and avoid coming to Saudi Arabia for the next few years. <laughs> so, so probably I, 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 I will stay away from them. But uh, the, despite everything, the Saudis are not as monolithic as we think. There are lots of people in Saudi Arabia who read this book and realize that in fact this is the truth in that sense. Mm. And a great deal of what they have uh, been fed is, 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 is blatant propaganda. Uh, and who are also very, very upset at what's happened to Makkah in a sense. And then the reason nobody protests is that in Muslims in general have a great reverence for the, for the Saudis because, you know, they're from the soil of the Prophet and, all, you know, all that kind of historic value. Uh, and of course, the Saudis have lots of power as well. They, they control most of the mosques, they build universities, they build colleges, they build, uh, you know, uh, institutions in the Muslim countries, including in Britain, right? Uh, and, and so uh, that's a very good way of silencing, silencing mm -hmm. criticism. Well, we're not going to silence you, the audience. Um, it's time for you to ask questions. As you can probably tell, we've, we've only scratched the surface of this fascinating book, and I'm sure you've got loads, loads of questions. So if you have a question, um, could you do like this gentleman here and, and put your hand up and wait for the, for the microphone to come to you? This is a, a very general question. I know Great Britain is, in theory, a, a theocracy because of the church, but it's a very mild one. 
And um, there's a kind of liberal consensus that the center should be a, a neutral way of fundamental religious ideas which are private are negotiated. Mm. It seems to me that's the absolute opposite of Islam. And is it realistic to expect Islam to ever accommodate liberalism? Um, well, if you regard Muslims as human beings, then it is absolutely, absolutely possible. Right. But if you regard Muslims as aliens, then that is not possible in that sense. Uh, 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 the whole different varieties of Muslims, right? There is, there is, a, there is, a, there is a theocracy in Iran. Uh, there is a, a monarchy in uh, Morocco, which is more liberal uh, than our monarchy. Uh, well, that's a disputed. Uh, uh, that's a disputed point. I mean, Sharia is a human construction in history, uh, and it can be changed by other uh, human beings who come after that history. So, so, but lots of Muslims do believe that Sharia is divine, uh, which I think is, a, is, is, is partly ignorance and, and, and a major major problem. But Sharia is a, uh, was developed in the ninth century, two hundred years after the Prophet. Um, uh, as, as a solution to the problems that people face in that society. And I think we need to reformulate that. And I was talking about Morocco, where in fact they have reformulated the personal aspects of the Sharia. They call it the Mardwana, uh, which is more dynamic, more liberal, more feminist, if you like, than anything we have in England. Uh, all you have to do is to go on the Google and, 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 and search the Mardwana, and you'll find the whole law. But the most interesting thing about that is that they, they have developed, they, 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 they did it exactly the same way as the classical Sharia. So they, they used the, the Quran and the life of the Prophet to justify what they're saying. So, there's, so this is one constitution where you get footnotes to the Quran, reference to the Quran and reference to, the, uh, to various Islamic sources in, the, in that sense. It's available in, widely in French, but there are English translations as, as well. So you, you, you can actually look at it and say, here are people who have redone the recast it, only one aspect of the Sharia, but at least they recasted the Sharia in a very liberal, very open way. Uh, and then, then you have various democracies. I mean, you know, uh, uh, it's very interesting that uh, uh, even before Margaret Thatcher became the first women prime minister of, of Britain, the Muslim countries already had a number of female prime ministers in their country, you know. So it's, 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 give, it's give and take. You have to regard the Muslim as a human community with all the diversity. So you have all the uh, uh, liberals, open-minded, kind of middle, middle of the ground, conservative, close-minded, fascists, and extremists, just as we have in Britain. <laughs> the question over here. Assalamu alaikum. Thank Absolutely. you for that talk. Um, what I was, uh, you were saying that Muslims, you know, maybe they're not protesting or they're not protesting enough. We're weeping at what's happening to Makkah. Yeah, but yeah. It's, in the end, we say, I, I, I make my intention to do my prayer facing the direction of the Kaaba. It's mm. a direction. Makkah represents a direction. Yeah. It was where the Prophet lived, and he used to feel saddened when people, when he, people came from Medina to Makkah and told him about Makkah. He used to feel saddened because his heart was there. Mm. And that, you know, he had his good, good times of his life with, his, with the Bibi Khadija there. Mm -hmm. So it meant a lot to him. But in the end, at the basic sort of level, it's just a direction. So yeah. why, you know, wh when, we, when we're uh, worrying about the loss of all this history, are we going to say, 
that we want to cap the number of Muslims that go. You're saying two million. How do you cater it's for two million? It's more, than, it's more than two million, actually. It's, yeah. it's about, so how? It's about, so you've got it. I, I it's, it's about three million now, approaching yeah. three million. And when they extend the the the, the latest Mecca uh, expansion uh, master plan about number four or five wants to extend the mosque mosque to accommodate five, up to five million people. So five million people praying. Yeah, so the, the Kaaba will be like three miles down the road. You know, uh, be really kind of quite a phenomenon. But anyway, uh, yeah, you see, it's very interesting because. Uh, 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 you have to see Islam not just as a religion, but also as a historical process. So there is all that history. Now, the, the question is, do you value that history? Do you value that culture property? Now, clearly, the Saudis do not, because for them, a uh, historical process does not, does not exist. For them, time basically stops with the death of the Prophet. That's what they want to create in social and cultural matters. They want to recreate the, you know, the, the seventh century Arabia because that's their ideal utopia, if you like, uh, in, 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 in that sense. Yeah. That. No, no. But at the same time, they want to be ultra modern, right? Yeah. So they, they, they don't want they, they don't want the history they don't want the history in the in, in, in the middle, either to exist or to be acknowledged. They have a very strange notion of 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 of, of time, and, and, and purity. Now, there are various ways to accommodate pilgrims com coming, coming to the city without destroying his, his cultural property. If you go to the Vatican, for example, uh, millions of people go to the Vatican. The entire history of Christianity can be seen, of the church, can be seen in, 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 in the Vatican. Uh, if you go to the great temple in Amrassar, right, uh, the entire history of, of Sikhism in India, six, seven hundred history can be seen. Right, and the way they they they've allowed the to preserve the culture property and allowed allowed the the the, 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 the people to come in. Uh, just because there are increasing number of pilgrims coming in doesn't mean that you should destroy all the history that you know that has that, that, that has existed. Uh, but why do you want to go to Mecca? Well, partly to perform the Hajj, but also to soak in some of the history, also to revisit the city of where the prophet was born, you know, also to appreciate the, the kind of uh, the diversity uh, and plurality of Islam, also to discover how other Muslims live and exist and what do they think. All of these are part uh, uh, of the Hajj. You don't simply go to the Hajj to you know go the to the Tawaf and go here and there and, and, and go home. The idea is that you are reborn, and you are reborn not just spiritually but also culturally because you are enriched by the contact of different kinds of Muslims. Uh, you know, intellectually, because it, you know the pilgrimage was always a great time for debate and discussion. Right? And of course, now there is no debate and discussion of 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 of, of any kind whatsoever. Um, so I mean, I know, but if you are happy, that's fine. And if you think weeping, you think weeping, weeping will change something. Well, carry on weeping. Um, uh, you know, in a, in a sense, if you if you want, actually, as far as the future of Makkah is concerned, as I'm. I, I think there is no future. Uh, it is just what it is now. It's going to be an extended present because they, 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 there is nothing left. There's, there, there's nothing left to preserve or to fight for. You know, it's going to become bigger and bigger. And eventually, it'll end up looking like a, a you know, a, a kind of discarded set from a Hollywood movie. That's what's going to be, be there. That's and there'll be no real spiritual experience apart from what the individual could gain from, from for themselves. Let's have another question over here. Lady there. Yeah. Thank you. Um, um, I'm a Muslim, um, quite a liberal one, and um, I spend a lot of time in India, in Delhi, 
And um, I often hear stories from um, Sikhs telling me about how Guru Nanak um, visited, uh, he went on pilgrimage to Makkah, Medina. Um, do you think that the Saudis would ever um, reopen their doors to allow non-Muslims to venture to do a pilgrimage that was a spiritual one? I know it wouldn't be religiously relevant, mm, but mm. you know when if it's such a spiritual journey, it should mean a lot to lots of people and not just Absolutely, Muslims. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think the Saudis will ever uh, because Saudis fear plurality. They fear diversity. They fear. Uh, uh, the criticism from outside, and they certainly fear non-Muslims non more than they fear Muslims. Uh, but I find that very strange. Uh, we can walk into into the Vatican. I have been to the you know, the Great Temple in in in, in, in Amritsar. Uh, 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 I even thought of doing the Camino, which is a pilgrimage, you know, done in in in, in, in northern Spain. Santiago. Yeah, Santiago. Do, do the walk. I did a little bit of the walk, but I didn't the full thing. Uh, um, uh, uh, so why can't non-Muslims visit, visit? What have we? What is there in Mecca that you could remotely hide from the non-Muslims? I don't understand. I mean, uh, frankly, I would advise the non-Muslims not to bother. They just go to Houston. <laughs> <laughs> less problem, less problem. And you can buy, you can buy, a, you can buy a plastic Kaaba and, and take it with you there. I mean, there are lots of lots of these plastic. Kaaba. In fact, now you can buy a perfume that is exactly shaped like a Kaaba. With the with the, all all the trimmings, you know, like the um, the, kushra, the, the 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 fabric that goes on it, and you know, it costs it's, it's cost a few few bob. But I mean, you can take that to to Houston and be like going to Mecca, um, <laughs> in a sense. So I, I I do not see. I mean, uh, except that you may get a lot, you know, too many people, and you know, uh, and it'd be difficult to control the crowds and all that. Apart from that, I I, I just do not see. I mean, in the book I raised that earlier on when they. Uh, uh, various caliphs start, started started banning non-Muslims. I, I find I find that very strange. Why do you want to hide? You know, why do you want to ghettoize your uh, your your sacred place? I I, I, I just don't I, I just don't understand. Particularly uh, since understand. it goes against what the Prophet himself yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, no, very, yeah, precisely. Yeah, you know, in uh, but the Saudis would never allow. It, uh, I think if you go to Saudi Arabia, the first thing you discover. Uh, I mean, when I first went to Saudi Arabia, I have to be honest, I was, I was a believer. But when I first went to Saudi Arabia, I came to the conclusion, God is unjust, right? I said, God is unjust because he's given all this wealth, right, and riches to the most stupidest and ahistorical people on earth who are going to destroy the Muslims. So he must be unjust. If he was, if he was just, he will give me some more wealth. <laughs> There's a question over here. Uh, a very basic one, I'm afraid, which parades my own ignorance. But could you briefly tell us a little of the difference between Sunni and Shia? I'm sure, I, I hope I'm not the only person who's not clear on this. Uh, well, the, basically, the, 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 the Sunnis basic, basically believe that um, the political leadership could be elected, selected, uh, uh, and anybody can, you know, can become a Leader, leader of the Muslim community, the the Shias believe that the that the leadership or especially spiritual uh, leadership of the Muslim community belongs to the family of the Prophet and who they you know they describe as a, as the Imam, the twelve Imam, in a sense. So it's more of a political difference, and out of these political difference, both communities have kind of manufactured this mythology, mythological theology. So the Shias have this Imam system, and the twelfth Imam disappeared, right? Uh, God knows what happened. In one of my books, Desperately Seeking Paradise, 
I'm in Iran and I'm traveling with some Shias and I turn around and say, so your 12th Imam disappeared. Are you sure he wasn't kind of fell in a well and nobody could find him because he was only six years old, right? And he looked at me and said, get out of my car. And I was in the middle of nowhere and I got dumped there and I carried <laughs> Yeah, that's in, that's the sequence in, in, in this true true story in Desperately Seeking Paradise. If you haven't if you haven't, if you haven't read that, the Muslims have the other kind of mythology that the four the first four caliphs were rightly guided. Uh, I don't know who's what committee sat down and said they were rightly guided, but I, you know clearly some committee must have sat down. So we have constructed these kind of strange manufactured theologies around around these differences, in a sense. Uh, um, uh, but the essential difference is a political difference of, of leadership of the community. And, and the Sunnis believe that uh, you don't have to belong to the Prophet's family to be a leader, and the Shias believe that you do. Okay. I'm sorry, that's all we've got time for. It's been a roller coaster of a, an event, I'm sure you'll agree. Um, Professor Sardar, Sar, Sardar will be uh, signing. Well, copies. don't clap, just buy my books. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be signing copies of his books in the bookshop with the blue neon light just over there somewhere. So please join with me in thanking him and do clap. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest.